Good to have you here this morning. Let's talk about restrictions. Isn't that fun? Uh, I'm just going to say, so a lot of people are saying what's going to happen starting next week. I just want to say it this way. What you see now, there's no change. So currently we are already operating at 33% capacity. So there'll be no change. The only addition that we're going to make is that you're going to have to register before coming in. And that's just something that we're implementing on our end so that we can keep our head count proper. Um, so as you see with the people around here, you're wearing your masks, you sanitize, you do social distancing. So nothing affects us starting next week in this area on a Sunday morning. Am I clear? Okay? Vaxxed, unvaxxed, you're all welcome. All right? Am I clear? All right, good. All right. Just pre-register. That's all I ask that you do. So today, we're going to close our gathering with special ceremony, which is, uh, in my experience, always been reserved for um, uh, special conferences, if I can put it that way. And so it's actually going to be the ordination of one of our staff. Okay, yeah, well, thank you. And it's actually a big deal because... This is the first time that it's actually being done on a Sunday morning gathering for us. Like, so I'm going to presume that the majority of you, if not almost 99% of you, have never seen what's about to take place with the ordination of somebody. And so more to that at the end of the gathering. And so before I go on any further, allow me to pray, and then let's get busy. Father, I'm very overwhelmed with your truth, and I'm so at awe at how your ways are higher than our ways and how your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so this morning I ask that everything that comes from my mouth be truth and that you'd get rid of the junk and dirt in me as a vessel that you, you would literally clean me out. But God, I also ask that as we leave this place we'd be different from when we walked in, that we would not just talk and think about this truth but rather think through how this truth, your truth, can actually seep into our lives and how we could be more like Jesus. Amen. So we're wrapping up our series, The Body. Next week, we're actually picking it up on 1 Peter. So uh, if you have no idea what that's all about, that's where we're starting. We're going to pick that book, and we're going to walk through it. But today, we're wrapping up our series on the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes to the church. He says, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you are a part of it. So Jesus' church community is made up of people who serve God. These people are found in every size, shape, color, race, denomination. If you remember, if you haven't listened to the last three gatherings, I encourage you to go back and, and just download and listen, because this is our finale. This is the wrap-up. You know, the, the, this, these people, the church, can be found inside and outside of formal churches. Of course, when we look at the New Testament, we see that Jesus left no instructions about organizing our churches or our church activities, but his vision was very clear. We will be one with each other and with God. That's his vision, John 17, 21. One with each other and with God. And now we need to go to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up there, and it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have learned over the last few weeks that the church is more than a place. It's more than just a building. It's a people. The church is a gathering of the saints and sinners, right? 
It's an assembly of the redeemed. It's a race. It's a royal nation. uh, Sorry, it's a nation. It's a royal priesthood. It's people for God's own possession. It's the called out of the world. And it's created for worship. There's a huge dynamic involved in the church. And apparently some in the early church forgot this and they abandoned this reality, which is inherent to the identity of the church coming together. Maybe they feared that they were going to be persecuted. Or maybe they were just distracted by worldly values. Maybe they worked too hard, or maybe they had too many family obligations or sporting activities in the ancient world. I don't know if that's donkey racing or what. Um, you know, maybe they had a few scrolls to read. I'm not quite sure. Or shofars to blow. We're not, you know, who knows, right? And they simply chose to worship in the convenience, possibly, of their own homes or just by themselves. And so whatever the reason, we don't know, but the writer of Hebrews is concerned. And this tendency, unfortunately, is not limited to the early church. It actually plagues North American Christianity as well. Each week, there are scores of believers who forsake the assembly of the saints, and instead, and I have to laugh when I'm writing this because I know there are people who are watching live. Hi. Yeah, so be aware that we know you're there, all right, peeking in. We wish you were here, but we understand. But they, each, each week, people tune into a televised or streamed or podcast sermon. Years ago, the radio offered that first taste of listening to a sermon within the comforts of the modern home. People would gather around it, turn it on, and listen. And then it went to TV, and now modern technology affords us the opportunity to listen when on the road, when we're jogging, driving, it doesn't matter, we're in the gym, on a wilderness retreat, we can still be there. And the benefits of that are incredible. Don't get me wrong. And those blessings need to be used for our edification, but they're no substitute for the local church. And you and I need the church, not just a podcast and not just YouTube. Now, some of you may not like what I'm going to say today. That's hang, hang tight. It needs to be said. Because here at Seoul, we see ourselves primarily as an in-person church with an online presence. That's who we are. Coming together is so important, especially with all this COVID stuff going on. However, a podcast is not a pastor. And you meeting with God. Oh, but Jerry, it is. Mm. Not when it's in solitude. No, the church is for coming together for corporate worship. This is what the church is all about. And those who worship experience consists merely of isolated engagements. They not only rob themselves, but they rob the grace community as well. They rob the local church of their participation. They rob God of his glory that he intends to display. When the church gathers together, when there's a high elbow at the door when you walk in, a smile beneath the mask that greets you, a joyful expression of encouragement or a a consolation of voice when people in our community are mourning. This is the church. And this is the glory that God intends to display. 
And this may sound like strong words, but the individualization of the faith in our nation is concerning because the local church is primarily the vehicle for sanctification. My, my life group used the expression last night, iron sharpening iron. We get better together. And God has not designed us to be transformed in isolation. God has designed us to be transformed in community. So we need each other. Write down the passages on the screen because I'm not going to go through them. Read them. Reflect on them this week. Take a picture. Do whatever you need to do. Hebrews 3, Romans 12, Philippians 2, Colossians 3. How can we love? How can we exhort? How can we honor? How can we serve? How can we forgive? How can we admonish? How can we teach one another if we're not regularly gathering together? And the local church is messy. We saw that last week. It's always been messy. Just read 1 Corinthians. What a screwed up place. But it was still God's church, his people. And messy doesn't mean unnecessary or dispensable. There, there's a beautiful grace to be found in the midst of mess. And church is more than just a sermon. It's what we've experienced. It's singing with the saints. It's speaking. It's, like I said earlier, hearing words of encouragement or comfort. It's praying together. It's serving with one another. It's opening your life to people to come in. It's opening your home. It is handshakes. It's hugs. And it's high fives, even now during COVID, however you want to do it. Just preparing myself. It's giving of your time, it's giving of your treasures, it's giving of your talents, it's taking communion, it's celebrating water baptism together, it's witnessing an ordination. The preaching of the word is a fundamental aspect of the local church, but it's not the sole activity in which we engage. And you may ask the question, well, why should I bother? Well, don't get me wrong. I get more, I, I, I get why more and more people have simply stopped attending. I get that. Let me explain. Because simply, I can literally watch live on any device I own anywhere I go. Plus, we have gatherings on demand. This one's on demand. You can watch it anytime. So I can watch or listen during the week via the website, via Facebook, or however, to catch a message for free, right, via podcast. You can actually access almost any church that you want around the globe, anywhere, anytime. Some of the best communicators in the world, free. If they charge, mm, just say. Which brings back the question, then why, do I, why should I attend church? And increasingly, I'm convinced that there is no point to just simply or merely attending. Think about it. You drive all the way in to connect with three or four songs. You grab a cup of coffee, maybe send off your kids if you have them here. You, you hear a message, and then you head home. Literally, you could do all that by yourself in a much more convenient way. Grab the message via podcast or on demand. Boom, you're covered. You don't have to worry about it. Today, we're not only drowning in options, but also in distractions. Generations ago, the church was a social hub of the community. It was a cultural hub as well. It was also the missional hub of the community. 
And in addition to faith reasons, people actually loved going to church because it was one of the handful of options available in a community as well as the main way, other than personal devotions, that you connected with God. We now live in a culture which is very different, that's drowning in options and has 24-7 access to anything Christian and anything but Christian. And the main reason we gather with the church is because we are the church. We've already outlined that in the last three weeks. You, you don't attend church. You are the church. Here today, you attend Soul Sanctuary. And merely attending doesn't make you much of a church because sitting in the back row consuming church doesn't make you very good at being the church. And I'm not talking to anybody today sitting in the back row unless you self-identify. But I think being the church has something to do with living your life for Christ, demonstrating God's love How? By serving others and sharing your faith with people. And that's very different than consuming church from a back row, pardon the expression, people I know, but which you can just easily do on your own back deck. And the reason you would go to church today, I actually believe what we're seeing is a very huge shift in our culture. And the reason why people are now attending church today is that they're moved and being moved from being consumers to actually being contributors. People are seeing that I need to live my faith out. It's not just something we do, right? We don't just go to be served. We now go to serve, however that works its way out. And there's something deeply scriptural about that. And before you think that you can do whatever you need to as a Christian, in in the world without other Christians or without the church, here are a couple of reasons why I actually fundamentally disagree. First, gathering together is Jesus' idea and not ours. I'll get more on that in a second. See, the church at its best is when you and I come together and we engage in mission. And what's the mission? Remember the mission that, that Jesus gave us? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is our mission. The second compelling reason to attend a Sunday gathering is that, and, and then specifically because that's when we gather here other than life groups, is that really you're bringing a friend or a family member with you or because you yourself are still exploring faith and Christianity. I love being a part of a church that is constantly designing experiences with those who are not yet in the room in mind. There are people who walk in through these doors every week who would actually say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm here. And I am so grateful for that. And they are so welcome. And that's the purpose of the church. And that's it, two good reasons to keep attending church. First, you are the church, which means you are engaged in the mission in some meaningful way. And second, you're creating space where everybody, regardless of their background, can hear and experience the news of Christ's love for them. But that also means we live in an age where attending church for attendance sake is dying really fast. And maybe that's what we see happening around us. You know, people who aren't engaged in the mission, they're leaving the mission. 
And while that's sad, you can't build the future of the church on passionless, disengaged people. Nor can you build it on consumers. The future will be built on Christians who want to serve, who want to share, and engage the mission of the local church. As your pastor, I walk in and I see a a room full of people outside, gathered in a circle, praying and getting ready for what's going on. And you know what I see most? I see young. I see future. And maybe you're sitting there today going, well, I don't like the church. Well, okay, that's fine. Remember, as, as Lauren said earlier, it was Jesus who said, on this rock I will build my church. Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about a building made with bricks and stone and wood. The church Jesus had in mind was going to be built out of flesh and blood. Your flesh and your blood. My flesh and my blood. The church Jesus intended to build was to be made of you and me. We are the church wherever we are. We are the church. You know, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave as we sung to save us and to make us part of his church. Now, many people don't realize how important the church is to Jesus. The Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, we read that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus loves her. It's a great metaphor. He died for her. I go so far as to say that, in fact, did you realize that you can't be a good Christian and not be a part of his church? Did I just say that? Did I just ruffle some feathers? The Bible says in 1 John 1.17, I need you, or 1.7, I need you to think this through with me, okay? Think it through. Think what's said. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, look closely at that passage. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. Or... Another way we can say it is that if we don't have fellowship with one another, we aren't walking in the light as he is in the light. If you and I do not fellowship with other believers, something's wrong. Now, there are people who say that they can be just a good Christian without being with church. Granted, they can be a Christian without being with the church. I get that. But they can't be just a good as Christian without the church. Am I drawing a line in the stand? Yeah, I am. I'm addressing what's going on in our culture. You see, the church is the bride of Christ. As I said in Ephesians 5.25, it tells us, like Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. If a believer then says they don't want to be with the church, if they say they really don't like the church, what they're saying is, Jesus, I don't like your bride. She's ugly. Right? In fact, I think she's been hit over the head with the ugly stick way too many times, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, but I can't stand your bride. I can't stand the church that you came and died for is really what you're saying. And if that be the case, you might as well despise that which Jesus sacrificed his life for. No church is perfect. I said last week, we're we're all imperfect beings coming together in an imperfect world trying to do something imperfect. That's why we need forgiveness, and that's why we need grace. That's why we need to sharpen one another. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this. If we look at the church with disdain, that's not going to go over really well with Jesus. 
But now, why would people not want to be around church? And the matter is, and we addressed this last week, sometimes the church is ugly. Yeah, it is ugly. Have you ever heard of a church that's been divisive? Where there's backbiting and gossiping? Where folks say nasty things about each other? Of course you have. We all have. You know, we talked about this last week with church hurt, and it's nothing new. Look to the New Testament in the book of Galatians. Paul writes, and he warns the church in Galatia, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. In other words, everybody's going to see what this is. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He warns them twice. They didn't get the message the first time. So why a second time? Because there were church members who were doing stuff just like that. And some of those folks in Galatia were pretty ugly believers. It's interesting, in, in, in my research, I stumbled across a statement, and I actually dug deeper, and I found out it, it came out of some medieval um, uh, transcript. And I didn't have the time to go further, but it's one of those rabbit holes I went into. Here's the quote. The church is something like Noah's Ark. If, you weren't, if it weren't for the storm outside, you couldn't still stand the smell inside. Let me try that again without stuttering. The church is something like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the smell inside. <laughs> Open a window! Right? Now why would that happen? Why would the church smell? Why would Christians stink? You think that because Jesus washed and justified and sanctified and saved them that these people would all be just, you and I should be just cute little babies, right? Aren't babies cute when they're not yours? Right? Cute and cuddling, promising, right? The problem is, and I'm sorry, new moms and dads, the problem is our babies are not always cute and cuddly, right? They cry, they cry, they cry, they fuss, they throw tantrums. I do grandpa daycare. I know what I'm talking about. Don't go there with me. Uh, they wet their diapers, and then they fill their diapers. How can something so small and beautiful stink up a whole house, right? Trust me, I haven't forgotten. And as they get older, they go into terrible twos. Trust me. As they get older, they know everything. It's coming for some of you. And people can be like that. Do you think that Jesus knew that when his, his followers would be like that? Of course he did. But he died for us anyway, and he built his church from people who he knew might act one day that way. Why would he do that? Well, because even at our worst, we benefit from just being together. How many times have you walked into a place like this and you were a miserable sack of whatever you want to describe? And somebody just saunters up to you, not knowing your condition, and maybe just encouraged you, just for a brief moment. 
That's church. How many of you parked your car, you walked in, you were flying high, and the first person you saw said something so off the wall and so offensive that just put you in a bad place? Welcome to church. But we're here. We need each other. Over and over again, we just need each other. We benefit from each other. We benefit to coming together to have faith. We benefit actually physically when we introduce faith into our lives. Uh, um, 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 studies have shown that if you're a regular at worship or church service attendance, it actually adds years to your life. When you have faith, when you have prayer, when you have community, it is a positive thing. Yes, there are hiccups. Yes, there are pimples. Yes, there are cysts that need to be addressed and dealt with. So we do it the best we can. We also learn from each other. Again, I've been in ministry for over 30 years, and I love still going to life group as such. I learn things I've never seen, or maybe sometimes I'm reminded of things that I've forgotten when we're sitting around a fire and we're talking. We're talking about the pastor's sermon, ironically, right? And I benefit from seeing Scripture through the eyes of somebody else. And so we learn more when we're around other Christians. And Hebrews tells us as we are around each other, we encourage and we challenge one another. Again, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of the habit are doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so we, when we're an active part of the church, we do more for Christ. When we're active, when we come together, when we greet somebody, when we encourage somebody, maybe it's not a bad thing in the end that the era of church attending is dying. Now hear me, we need more churches. We need more healthy churches. We need churches that are doing a fantastic job at reaching people in all different types of levels. What we don't need more of are churches where people merely attend and never engage with each other or the community. Every once in a while, I've received well-intentioned, and yet I think misguided comments in the form of an email or a direct message from people around the globe who are not connected with our local church or their local church, but they consider me actually to be their primary pastor. You're my pastor. And listen, I, I truly care about each story that I hear, but I can't adequately shepherd you from afar. A podcast is no substitute for a pastor. The internet is no substitute for a church. At Seoul, our primary priority is to the flock of God that has been among us, according to 1 Peter 5. Pastors have been charged. We talked about the different structures you know, three weeks ago. Called by God to the stewardship and oversight of, uh, of, of the flock in which they've been placed. I have a responsibility on all levels. We have to make decisions in light of COVID and regulations that people don't like. But that's our job. That's our calling. And therefore, a pastor's primary responsibility lies not in outside speaking engagements or writing projects, media, emails, podcasters, but instead to call to equip the saints. That's what we're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. It's called to equip the saints within the local church. You know, one of the most interesting books of the Bible for me, and I, I think it's probably the one I quote the most, is Ephesians. And Paul spends the first chapter of Ephesians telling the Christians that, 
how, how important they are to God and how much God loves them and how they've been sealed by God's Holy Spirit. And then God has set aside a special inheritance just for them. That's really nice and warm and fuzzy. But then in chapter 2, Paul tells them to remember something. He wants them to remember who they were before they became Christians. That they had been without God and that they had been without hope in the world. And he tells them why they'd been without God and without hope. And he goes so far and he writes this, Ephesians 2, 1-10. He says, As for you, which you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now remember, he was just telling them who they are and just reminds them. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, don't you love that? Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not of works so that nobody could boast. And again, for we are God's handiwork. Remember, people, you're a piece of work, right? You know, this is the part where you can look at the person next to you and go, yeah, you're a piece of work, but they are. They're God's handiwork. The, the, again, remember I preached this, you are a masterpiece. God looks at you and says, you are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Why? In other words, you have a purpose to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. He's got it all laid out. You know, I had to ask my question, why would Paul start this letter without telling them, you know, first of all, telling them how valuable they are to God and then switch to how worthless they were before coming Christians. I couldn't figure that out. But Paul did that because sometimes Christians forget who they, who they have been before. We forget. And we forget how much God had forgiven us of. And we forget that at one time, we too had fallen in sin and had fallen short of God. And because we forget, we tend to think of ourselves as having arrived. Spiritual pride. And again, they viewed themselves as righteous. And they thought they were the measure of righteousness. They believed that they could stand up in judgment of other Christians and other believers who don't measure up. And yes, there are people like that even today in churches. You don't measure up. You're not good enough. And Paul's just reminding us where we came from. And so when we gather together, our job is to spur one another on. Our job is to stir up one another. Our job is to be encouraging. Who are you going to encourage today as you leave this place? Encourage somebody. That's your homework. Encourage somebody. If we don't try to help others get closer to God then we failed. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. 
if we all really remembered what we were before we became Christians and how much God has forgiven us of, then I think we have a new realization that none of us can stand before God and brag about how more righteous we are than other people. No, I just, I just need to do my best. Recognize that God has saved me, and how can I encourage you? How can I help you? How can I spur you on? And I think true unity within the church can only be gained when we approach God realizing that we've all sinned in our lives and that God regards other Christians as needing our assistance. In other words, people, you need me and I need you. You need me, but I need you. And in recent years, you know, there's the growing trend amongst Christians to undermine the importance of the local church, which grieves my heart. I see it on Twitter. I see it. Uh, yeah, I, sorry, I, that was a confession. Uh, I see it on TikTok, too. Um, where people actually believe that they can live the life God has called them to live in Christ without being connected to a local church. Now, unfortunately, this isn't a great idea, and there are several reasons why Christians should be involved with their local church, but I want to just simply give you three today. The first one is that you're a member of the body of Christ. In Christ, you are a member of his body. God never intended you to live an isolated life or an individual relationship with him. God desires for his body, his church, to be a public organization who lives for his glory and the good of others. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, but also John chapter 17, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you have gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. There's this idea that Jesus is praying not just for the disciples but for the future church. Secondly, God works through the church. Jesus is building his church. We heard that, Matthew 16. We are in it together. God has chosen to work through the local church in making disciples globally, locally, however you want to do it, and his work through the church will continue until Jesus returns. This church has a presence in almost every continent. What we have done in East Swatini in feeding uh, kids in a care home for a full year when I bring the, the, the cause to you, what we do in Living Word in the North End of Manitoba and Powers in our own city, where we feed on average on a Sunday alone 180 people, never mind all the meals and, and food that goes out with Pastor Paul and his team as with Winnipeg Harvest and everybody else. There's a ministry going on in our inner city, and that's our sister church. What about what's going on in Indonesia where we fund ed education? What about all the kids through World Vision that we've been sponsoring, which is a two-year anniversary? Remember that? Stop texting me. My phone goes off. That's when I know people are texting me. We do so much together. And there's so much more to do. We need each other. And there's a world out there that needs us. That needs us. God works through the church. And thirdly, we're to encourage one another. Again, remember last week, 59 one another commands. The Bible says we're to encourage one another. And the only place where these commands can thrive really was within the local church. 
Why? Because then you can find encouragement by spending time with other Christians. You know, however, if you're choosing who you are or not spending time with, then you are limiting the body of Christ. And the local church is full of individuals from a myriad of backgrounds and personalities, which means you'll be placed in relationships that will challenge you more than friends that you select to be with. What do you mean? I can't be friends with everybody? No. You're going to be challenged with people who just rub you the wrong way. That's okay. That's okay. But how can we learn from each other? And I think we have to fight against this trend of isolationism uh, for the sake of our own good. And as Christians, the worst thing we can do is try to live our life apart from other brothers and sisters of Christ. If you read the New Testament, the message is clear that the primary way the Christian can grow is along others with the body of believers. We need each other. We're in it together. And it goes back to the idea of Matthew 18 where Christ shares the story of the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep to pursue that one lost sheep. And when he finds them, he brings them back to the others. Why? Think about this part of the story. Because he knew that on his own, that single sheep would be overtaken by the wolves or whatever else is out there. But when that sheep comes into the flock, stinky, I will add, right? He'll be protected and prosper. And I think each of us have, has this innate desire to be known and to be known by other people. And this is because God has designed us that way for our good. And that's why we crave community. And when we enter into what is called biblical community, it pushes us away from ourselves and it pushes us towards Christ. And if we ever come to believe that, you know, we can look like Jesus just on our own, we have bought into the lie that Satan is actually trying to sell us. The truth is, is that we are often our own worst enemy. And we need others to protect us from ourselves. Sometimes it's the voice outside that gets our attention. We need others to encourage us. Do you always encourage yourself? I can do it. Yes, I can do it. I can. It gets get pretty tiring after a while. But it, I'll just share this. We, we were talking around our life group around the fire last night. My life group gets nervous every time I bring them up. And the, and the question was, like, talk about getting nervous because the questions are all about the last sermon. So, like, I wonder who preached that. So the question was, how, you know, how, what, what is your gift and how do you contribute your gift? And everybody around the fire is very quiet, which I thought was funny. But then somebody begins to speak up and begins to say to a person across the fire, says, well, let me put it this way. This is the gift I see in you. And then all of a sudden, there was a change where there's this encouragement and recognition of one another. So people weren't really there to talk about their gifts. Hey, this is my gift. <laughs> no, it was, this is what I see in you. And you can feel the encouragement rising. We need each other to encourage each other. The hardest one in today's day and age is that we need each other to call out sin. Right? I'll just leave that there. This one's especially relevant this week for people in our community. We need others to cry with us, to mourn with us, to grieve with us. We also need others to celebrate with us. 
And Paul sums it all up perfectly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he encourages the church. And he says this, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I hold on to that last three words. I just want you to know. These things don't happen when we don't belong to church. And when we're by ourselves, the risk of us getting overtaken by the wolves is greater. When we're by ourselves, we begin to start thinking of ourselves too highly and we forget that we are sheep that need a shepherd. And the greatest thing the shepherd can do for his sheep is to keep them together in a flock for their own good. And the idea that the church can happen on the golf course or in a coffee shop or hiking in the mountains is obviously a common saying today. And yes, we can experience God in these settings. I, I, I've never gotten a hole in one by myself on golf, but I'm sure God's going to do that for me one day. But these are not the true substitutes for actually being part of a local church community. We need community. We need accountability. We need structure. And simply put, we need each other. I want to transition now to something that happens when the body gathers together to recognize somebody's calling to ministry. Another great reason, we need each other. Now, some of you don't know this, but I'm affiliated with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. It's the organization I have my credentials with. When we first moved into our facility, we had the uh, David Wells, who was a general superintendent of our fellowship preach, the, the top dog, all right? Today, you're going to be introduced to a number of my colleagues from all areas of the province in northwestern Ontario. Because in our fellowship, we're not a denominational, we're a fellowship, we support the ordination of women. And today, one of our staff members who holds ministerial credentials with the Pentecostal Assemblies is going to be ordained. And you'll know this staff member as the person behind 204-226-7254. That's her name. our prayer request line, or the person behind the flowers or the gifts from our pastoral care. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Joanne Hollander. And today, Joanne is going to be recognized as reverend. I still got reverend doctor on you. I just want you to know. So ordination, in case you didn't know, so let me explain. Or It's a process where we affirm the call, equipping beliefs, maturity of an individual to become recognized in our fellowship as a reverend. And so Joanne has met all the qualifications, and it's time that she be properly recognized in her calling. So in case you didn't know, in her life before Seoul, Joanne actually used to pastor a church here in the city, but she has chosen, chosen now to be a chaplain pastoral care, correct? Right. And uh, she serves here at Seoul in her pastoral role. And... Um, I need to say this, by the way, she's a servant leader in this role. She's not paid. She says, no, I want to serve. So today, um, like I said, you're going to meet these 
uh, elected individuals who represent the PAOC, P Pentecost Assemblies of Canada, including um, the district superintendent, uh, Andrew Porterfield, who will be praying over Joanne, and they'll introduce themselves. And so, remember our first Sunday where we talked about elders and bishops and, and deacons? Well, Andrew functions like my presbyter, my, my elder. He's above me in the hierarchy of the church. So who am I responsible to? This is not just a one-gun show. There is a hierarchy within our fellowship. And so not only do we see it in the operation of the local church, you also see it in the organization as it goes on. And so I'd like to highlight a critical piece in this ceremony, which is also the laying on of hands. Now, people are going, ah, oh, pandemic. No, 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 relax. Because we can do this, and we've done this before. And I'll just say this. Um, we will be laying on of hands. There will be an anointing of oil. Uh, I gave Andrew his own special bottle of hand sanitizer, and Dan and everybody else, we have our special bottle right here. And so it will be taking, just doing it a little differently. We're going to sanitize our hands before that, and then we will lay hands on Joanne from uh, uh, onto her back. So there's no frontal contact or anything else, so that we're meeting the requirements. Uh, again, a critical piece, because the laying on of hands is symbolic in setting the individual aside for the service of God, but it also represents the empowering of the Holy Spirit in one's life, and we see that throughout the book of Acts. So, Joanne, I'd like to invite you and your family to please come up to the stage, and as you do, I want to acknowledge that you do have the call of God on your life. And uh, I know that you have sought a lot of counsel in this whole process. I've been part of that. And... Uh, I believe that I can speak on behalf of the community of Soul Sanctuary that we confirm your calling to ministry. So before we go any further, and as the family comes up, Joanna, you're going you're gonna to want to see this a little bit, maybe if you just stand right here and watch the screen. Good morning, Joanne, the Hollander family, and the family of Soul Sanctuary. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Louise Heyer, a member of the district executive and a pastor at Evangel Church in Thunder Bay. Joanne, it is an honor to be part of this very special occasion. Today we are recognizing and affirming your life and ministry, Joanne, and the call to ministry that God has placed on your life. And it's good to celebrate this moment with you and your faith community, Soul Sanctuary, and our larger ministry family, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Joanne, Paul says to shepherds in Acts 20, 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood. And in 1 Peter 5, 2-4, Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Hi there, I'm Cher Paulson and one of the members of the district executive and discipleship pastor at Calvary Temple Church. Good morning, Joanne and family. I am so happy that I get to share in this wonderful morning. Receiving ordination signifies that the Fellowship of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada has examined the life and ministry of a leader and has heard with the ordinand the call of God upon her life 
and affirms wholeheartedly that Joanne Hollander has been set apart by God to follow his high and holy call. In just a few moments, leaders and family are going to gather around you and pray over you. First, let us formalize that call with these words. I therefore ask you, Pastor Joanne, to share the authority of the Word of God with love, to evangelize those who need to know the grace of God, to provide ordinances and all other duties and responsibilities inherent in your office where you will exercise your ministry in the name of Christ. Keep going. There you go. Good morning. I'm Pastor Vern Kratz, and uh, I'm the Assistant District Superintendent for Fellowship Services of the Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Some have called me the Secretary Treasurer or the District Administrator. It's my privilege to be able to serve and look after all the administration of our district. And one of the things that I look after is the credential matters and uh, including uh, being a part of ordinations. And it's wonderful to be a part of this special occasion today with Joanne. And one of our traditions is to give a Bible to each of the ordinands. And so Joanne, we present this Bible to you today on the occasion of your ordination. It is the revelation of God to us. May you find within it the truths of God his principles for your life. May you also find in it the answers that you and those that you lead require to live out the lives that he's designed for you and them. The Lord is your shepherd. He will lead you to green pastures. He will walk with you beside peaceful waters. He has anointed you to ministry leadership. You will find food for your soul in this book. Good morning. I'm uh, Dan Murphy. I'm the Assistant District Superintendent for Mission. And so one of my roles is to help oversee ministries within our district, within the local church, all the different generational things, uh, as well as uh, leadership. So Joanne, it's great to be here today. So I'm going to ask for your ordination commitment. So Joanne Hollander, do you believe in your heart that you are truly called by God to Christian ministry? If so, answer, I do. Will you devote yourself to prayer, study of the scriptures, and to spiritual disciplines in order to grow in the likeness of Christ so that you may fruitfully serve his purposes in the ministry he has called you to? If so, answer, I will. Will you maintain and initiate as far as you are able, respect, unity, peace, and love among all Christians, especially those who belong and who are and will be under your care. If so, answer. Will you honor and cooperate with those who are in positions of authority in the Lord's work, conforming yourself with a receptivity to their guidance and openness to their counsel? If so, answer, I will. I will ask your family now 
to place your ordination stole upon you. This stole symbolizes the Lord's calling, anointing, and presence upon you. May God help you, and may he grant you all that you need to fulfill the ministry he has called you to, so that he may make perfect the work he has begun in you, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, Soul Sanctuary. I'm Andrew Porterfield, the District Superintendent, and it's a great privilege to be here this morning, I'm going to invite Pastor Jerry, other pastors and ministry leaders who are going to come and stand behind Joanne and lay hands upon her as we pray. If uh, they would come, just come right now and be ready. Pastor Dan has uh, the hand sanitizer to give you a little sanitizing there before we do so. Ready? Come and gather around Pastor Joanne. Heavenly Father, we stand before you today, recognizing the life, calling, and character of Joanne Hollander. We believe that you have set her aside, apart, to minister for you. She has served with excellence as a lay leader, as a children's pastor, as a lead pastor, a staff pastor, a district leader, and chaplain. This is a holy moment as we formally ordain the Reverend Joanne Hollander. Lord Jesus, we honor you and conclude this ordination service by asking you to graciously lead her and bless her, to lead and bless through her those whom she serves among. We ask that you would continue to look with favor upon your daughter, your servant, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now, may the Lord bless the Reverend Joanne Hollander. Amen. Well, isn't that awesome? Stand with me, please. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise, reverend. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call you now. Never mind the phone number. I'm just going to call you reverend. Soul Sanctuary, continue in the loving of your neighbor and the sharing of your love. 
Soul Sanctuary, continuing the celebration of life and the sharing of that life together. Soul Sanctuary, continuing the caring of the earth and the sharing of her harvest. And enjoying the variety of people and the sharing of our talents together. And soul, continuing the laughter you make in the sharing of the journey. And continuing the love of this community and the sharing of our faith to those who need to hear the good news. Now go and not just be the church, but live the church. And we'll see you next week. Blessings to you.